My name's Jo Wise, and this is Wise Women, the podcast. In my book, I Am A Woman, I quote a Native American proverb which states that the world will know a thousand years of peace when women have healed their hearts. I believe that one way for women to heal their hearts is to share their stories. Just like in ancient times, when our female ancestors would gather at the full and new moons in tune with their cycles to cleanse their experiences together. On this podcast, I'll be asking women from all walks of life to share their stories. Not only to give a voice to the wisdom they discovered during some of their greatest life challenges, but also to remind you of your deepest wisdom too. This is Wise Women. Sharing stories, sharing wisdom. More and more people seem to be waking up and coming out of the cultural trance of being busy and financial growth at all costs choosing instead a lifestyle of presence and simplicity over a lifestyle of stuff and status. More and more people are starting to understand that being busy is not the same as being productive. To quote one expert, being busy might actually be a form of laziness. Lazy thought followed by indiscriminate action. However, these new connections don't come easily for everyone and my wise woman guest this month was one of those. Justine Clement was a CEO on the go until a knee injury on the ski slopes forced her to slow down, assess and reflect. In this podcast, she shares what she found in those empty spaces. Hello, Joe. Good to speak to you. We've known each other for a while and there are two things that I love about you that I just want to share with people listening to this podcast before we even start. Okay. (laughs) So the first thing is that you're an amazing friend because you will just pick up the phone and just check in and say, hi, how are you doing for no reason? And I think that's a really good way to, to judge a friend. So I wanted to say that first and foremost. Thank you. And secondly, you just have this lust for life. Whenever I talk to you, you're always doing something, going somewhere, thinking about (laughs) doing something or going somewhere (laughs) you just have this passion I think to live life to the full don't you yes I mean it it has been one of my lessons actually throughout this whole experience which I think is going to be one of my lessons for as long as I live and that is the challenge of being versus doing but I have to say (laughs) the doing wins quite frequently but at least um what we're going to talk about today will will bring me also to the new side of myself which I've discovered and and I'm delighting in which is which is the being but uh yeah I've always lived my life with the philosophy of that idea that life is short and there's just so much to do and experience people to meet that I think that's just ingrained in me really well being around you I kind of feel sometimes it's like being with an excited puppy you know let's go here and let's go there and let's do that which is just such a fantastic energy but it's interesting because as you alluded to there this is part of the challenge that we're going to talk about today because you suffered an accident a skiing accident which really made you question how you were living your life so before we talk about the wisdom that you found in that accident take us back to the day it happened um, where were you and what was going on 
Yes, I'll do that. Um, And I think what I wanted to say before I go into that is really an acknowledgement of some of the other podcasts that you've done, which are women that have experienced some quite serious tragedies in their lives. And I just wanted to make a nod before we start to the fact that my story and my experience is more about the everyday. And um, these things can happen to anyone at any point. Mm. And it's really about the lessons that I've learned. I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't traumatic for me, but um, I, I do acknowledge that amongst some of my peers on this podcast, that it, it's not been life-threatening. But Likewise, I have uh, learned so much from the experience and hopefully I can pass on some of what I've learned that will help others. Yeah, I'm Uh, I'm pleased you said that, Justine. That makes a lot of sense, but it certainly doesn't take anything away from what you've been through personally as well. No, no, exactly. And um, so to go back to, you know, to to your question is, uh, I guess really it was was a build-up. And we're talking about a physical uh, injury that I had, but... As you quite rightly pointed to, I, I've, I've done lots of things in my life and I've been through uh, a long period of doing uh, yoga and following it quite diligently. And of course, I pushed my knee too hard. So that was really the start of my first injury, which is probably about um, 10 years ago. And it's, it, for me, it's a good example, actually, of how uh, things don't generally or don't often they're not just that one thing. There are a series of things that have led up to where you are. And, and this injury was not just one thing that happened. It was a series of, of injuries that led to that. But really what happened was <laughs> I'd had quite a quiet year. And uh, I said to my partner, right, I don't feel that I'm living true to myself. And I want to I want to go skiing at least once a year because I used to love skiing and uh, I wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing it and I felt like I wanted to introduce it back into my life. It felt quite important. And bizarrely, well, I, you probably won't think it's bizarre because these things happen this way. Five days later, a friend phoned me up who's very lucky to have a ski chalet and said, oh, would you like to come skiing? I, I couldn't believe it. You couldn't make these things up. So off we went, and second day, we were on a very icy slope. Everything was going fine, and it really was not a big accident. I just twisted my twisted my knee, but um, actually, I, I knew. I, I knew. In fact, it, it sounds very strange, but I almost felt like I knew it was going to happen, and it was a small twist. And actually, when you uh, rupture your cruciate ligament, which is one of the big elastic bands, really, that holds your the top leg to the bottom leg, if you like, in layman's terms, but when you actually rupture it, so the worst thing that can possibly happen, which is, is the ligament comes away from the bone, is actually you don't feel a lot of pain, but actually wincing even now at the, at the thought of it, it's it, there's more possibly mental anguish anguish with that and my friend was a GP uh, we were in the middle of a of a of an icy slope and um, she asked me if I could ski off the slope and and I still remember that now that and I would describe that as trauma in 
in terms of actually trying to ski off um, off the slope and uh, and essentially your leg gives way and, and the feeling that actually one bone isn't quite securely tied onto another is is actually not not a very nice feeling so I think the next bit of trauma was her asking me if I could climb up this very very steep slope in order to get to the next chairlift and the thought of that now is also quite quite painful but luckily we didn't we didn't do that in the end we called emergency services and I was carried off on what what is known in the ski world affectionately is uh, a blood wagon <laughs> and <laughs> uh, which means that you get strapped into a um a stretcher on skis uh, where a man pulls you down he's skiing and you're you're lying in the stretcher all wrapped up and he's probably going at you know 60 miles an hour down the slopes and you're kind of strapped in behind him but um i had experienced that before so uh it wasn't it wasn't the first time that I'd gone through that horrific and embarrassing experience of getting in the ski lift and everybody's looking down at you well, and just thinking oh my god having said all of that Justine you've obviously got a sense of humor and serve your friends because uh I remember seeing it <laughs> pop up on Facebook and I think the person you were with actually recorded you being carted off in this blood wagon <laughs> That is my GP friend, exactly. And you, what you will have noticed uh, at the end of the video is her killing herself laughing. Uh, and in fairness, that was in response to my own response, which, again, I'm just thinking about this as I'm talking to you now, but there was something in that whole experience that I felt was possibly um, already set in motion. Mm. And I'll talk about acceptance a, a bit further on, but uh, there was an acceptance almost from the beginning uh, of this. Uh, and maybe there was a bit of denial as well, because I have to say the amount of times that she as a GP has said to me, I can't believe how well you're taking this. I can't always explain. Would would I have done that before? Or, you know, have I always been like that in my life? I don't think I have. So I can't explain why I was so accepting of it from the beginning and why I was quite jolly. But I do know that there was a, an overriding thought that I didn't, um, my friend, uh, I'd gone with my friend and her husband, you know, they both work hard. They'd come away to have a, a good time skiing for a few days. They're brilliant skiers. There was a part of me that didn't want to be an inconvenience. And I know that sounds a bit uh, silly, but I really did feel that quite strongly. So I didn't go to to the hospital because she was a GP and because she pretty much confirmed what I'd done. And really, there wasn't a lot to do until I got home and had an MRI scan. But I guess there was a bit of denial, a bit of hope that maybe that's what I hadn't done and also maybe a lack of understanding. In fact, there was a huge lack of understanding of what I faced. So when she said to me, why, you know, I can't believe how brilliant you're being about this. Uh, there was probably a part of it in that I didn't didn't really know how bad an injury like that affected um, mm. my life. Well, you talking about not wanting to be an inconvenience to your friend on holiday, again, goes back to my opening statement about what a great friend you are, firstly. <laughs> but you talking about kind of that denial and not really acknowledging it. 
deeply. When did it really hit that you thought to yourself, oh my goodness, I've done this to my knee and this is really serious? Do you remember when you had, when that realization kind of dropped in? I suppose it was the point that I had an MRI within a few days of coming back. It, it, it always fascinates me how people don't address uh, their health issues. Uh, I'm not really like that with my health. And I, as soon as I got back, I booked and paid for an MRI scan because I just wanted to know straight away uh, what I was up against. And I guess it was two days after that that I had the confirmation that I pretty much done every, every bit of damage to my knee that I possibly could. So I then started to see someone who who got me to believe that that maybe I could manage without surgery. And so I think there were a few stages here where I I led myself a bit down a, a road of disbelief, really. I, I, I thought that the injury wasn't as bad as, as, as it actually turned out to be. So for a month, I spent uh, traveling uh, sort of two hours each day to have rehab with someone that said, actually, not everybody who, who ruptures their cruise ship needs an operation. And I recovered really quickly. So after the ski accident, within three weeks, I was walking, well, four weeks, I was walking almost normally. And it all ties back to to the type of person I am. So the, the, the ski injury happened at the beginning of December. And at the beginning of January, I sometimes work from home and I have an office at the top of the garden. And I was literally running backwards and forwards to the house and the office trying to make the Wi-Fi work. And I, I had by that point almost forgotten what I'd done to my knee because you can actually rehab it back to the point where it feels okay. And the next thing that happened was I unconsciously stepped down from the back of the garden. And the next thing I know, you know, I'd done a face plant into concrete and uh, I knew that I knew this time it was very different from the first fall. But I knew this time that I'd really done something really serious and it really hurt. Mm. And I crawled into my office and phoned my partner, but I was very upset that time. It was quite different from the first time. And and at that point, the the man that had been rehabbing me, I phoned him straight away and he said, okay, well, that's our answer then. He was, he was sort of hopeful that I would recover without needing an operation. And this had confirmed that actually... I did. I did need an operation, and when I look back, I think that was a fundamental flaw in my, you know, my journey to healing. I think I should have just uh, had the operation straight away because the damage I then did in that second fall was almost as much as 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 the skiing accident, and that really was the point of reality. I think, and I I, I, be, I basically got into a a, a place of fear. I remember talking to you not long after that had happened and that it really did affect you, didn't it? That second fall. It did. It did. I was, I was literally full of fear. And I think, I think that what happened was I'd started thinking more about taking responsibility for what had happened. And 
what what happened was I just had a morning where I hit rock bottom. It had already been two, just over two, two and a half months by the time that this had started. And I'd gone through all that phase of, of optimism and acceptance and everything was fine. But that, by that point, I was seeing a surgeon and the operation was booked in. Um, but what had happened was I'd had a call with the surgeon the night before and he said, he said something to me during one of our sessions, which is interesting. And I think about it quite a lot now in terms of the language that we use and certainly the language that doctors use. And he said to me, I think you're going to be a slow healer. And that really set a pattern in place for me of I'm a slow healer. And that following morning, I just really hit rock bottom, actually. Uh, I think reality kicked in um, and, and I was crying. I was crying quite probably three hours. And interestingly, during that three hours, I can't remember if one of them was you, but three really good friends phoned. And I can't explain why, but I, I'm sure... There was some reason and I spent, you know, time chatting to them and crying. But it was it was a real low point. Uh, but those friends helped help me get through that. And I something at that point and, and I've, I've noticed it since is that I do believe when you hit rock bottom, obviously it's not nice to hit rock bottom. But when you do hit rock bottom and the ultimate sort of pivotal point of fear something just shifted uh, and it was working through what my fear was. What, what is it that I'm so upset about? What is it within this injury? I'm not going to die. Hmm. Yeah, what is it that I'm so full of fear of? That was going to be my question, actually. Do you know what the fear was relating to? Yes. Uh, the, uh, the answer came at that point. And I, I am someone that uh, from a very young age, I've, I've been sporty. I play a lot of tennis. I go to the gym. I love I love swimming, wild swimming, swimming in the sea. And what it was was a fear that when it wasn't even an immediate fear, I don't think. But it was when I'm old, I, I, I might not be able to walk properly. And even at that point, I couldn't walk properly. What was happening was after the second fall was that I couldn't straighten my leg and I couldn't do the things that are normally associated with that injury and the doctor the surgeon had said to me um, with the, with the surgery booked a week from from that point was if you don't uh, you know make a dramatic change over the next week then what we'll have to do before the surgery is force your leg back into place and it was that that set me off really that was so there was a physical fear of what that would be but it was really about all I could see was a future of, of inactivity, you know, old age spent on the sofa. Uh, my parents are great role models. I mean, they're 76. They go walking, I don't know, 30 miles a week. My mum goes to the gym three times a week. And that's just the norm uh, for me. And I just started to think, what was my life going to be? What was my, was my future going to be? someone you know, who couldn't even walk up the stairs but I think once I'd hit that point of 
feeling sorry for myself. And I, I have to say that that there's one thing that is not helpful at all, and that is feeling sorry for myself. There's there's a man that I absolutely adore. Not many people have heard of him, but he's he's cited as being the sort of the the initiator, really, of the personal development sort of field. And he just he just puts it really very lovely, nicely, which is. Just as day follows night and spring follows winter, opportunity follows difficulty. And I just think that that is beautiful. And my experience of that morning and subsequently, because I've thought about it, is that that happens when you let go and you face your fears and you face what is happening to you. And it you are prepared to change and do the things that are required, then things will change for you. Mm. And it sounds cliche, but it's everything that I will talk about today is, is stuff that I've lived and breathed. It's not things that, that really have helped me. Okay, well, we're kind of moving into that wisdom, aren't we? So um, we've talked, obviously, about the challenge and what happened to you. Now, here's the point of the podcast is the wisdom that you found in in all of that. So what's come to mind for you in terms of that wisdom, Justine, what you found in that challenge? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought about this in terms of, you know, points that I, that I have learned, succinct, succinct points. And the first one, as we've touched upon, is it's not not what happens to you in life. It's what you do about it that matters. And that is really around the mindset. We're talking about a physical injury that I faced. But as anyone will know that's had a, a, a serious or even a small physical injury, to be honest, it's as much mental as it is physical. The body and the mind are one and uh, you can't really separate that. Uh, and I think that that is my first wisdom and my first learning. And the second one is what happened after after my surgery. It, it turned out that the reason that I was uh, a slow a slow healer, uh, as the as the surgeon had suggested I would be, uh, was actually because once he'd done the surgery, my knee was in really a really really bad way, much worse than they realised uh, because of the second fall. And he'd done two procedures uh, in one, which they don't normally do; they're normally separate operations. But I think he thought whilst he was there, he'd do them both, and one conflicts with another. But what what happened was that I had to spend uh, the first six weeks of my recovery uh, on the floor in a six hours a day in a a little machine that moves your leg backwards and forwards for something called a microfracture. And it uh, it was winter. My dear mum had decided she was going to come up and look after me for two weeks, which was just wonderful. And I had to spend six weeks uh, we live in a, a very old victorian house what i hadn't realized was how much uh how much cold air comes up through the floorboards in my lounge but it was it was six weeks of sitting there a six hour day with, with with your knee going backwards and forwards and, and for the rest of the time then i would literally just hop about the house and uh, 
as you know, I'm not a person to sit still for long. So, you know, it was it was it was forced. Actually, it was a forced situation that forced me to slow down. And I suppose two people that, in fact, three people that gave me uh, some insight into lessons that I was maybe being taught. And um, I really found that I, I was being forced to slow down and I was being forced to think. And I was being forced to uh, take things slow. And the people that had told me that was, well, one was your dear good husband who specializes in trauma. And I guess there was trauma that I had experienced and was still experiencing. And he, he knows me relatively well, like you. And Austin Wise is a very wise man. And he told me that... that um, it was a lesson for me in slowing down that he had observed that I was a person that moved from one thing to the next and that I needed to slow down. And I also had a, two, different, two healing sessions with different healers and they both told me the same thing. And in, in fact, they both told me that because I hadn't slowed down after my first accident skiing, I was literally properly knocked off my feet with the second fall because mm. I hadn't learned the lesson the first time. So I spent those first six weeks observing myself, my thoughts and my feelings. And what I learned from that was, was don't just try and get through the day, but get from the day. It was a pretty miserable situation, February, March, April, uh, lying on the floor of my lounge in that uh, strange contraption. But what could I get from from each day and how could I learn what was happening? But this sort of belief that 100%, oh, 100% belief really is that we do create challenges in our lives in order to learn from them. Mm. And mine was to slow down and rather than always doing, try being and I've always been busy with the career and uh, making myself busy with all the things that I like to do. But when we're always in doing mode rather than being, there, there comes a point where I think you lose a bit of connection. And, and of course, you don't even realize that it's happening. And if you're always doing, well, doing is something that's future focused. So your mind is creating tasks that take us from one place to the next in order to generally achieve a particular outcome and that's regardless of our emotional state and that's been the, the wisdom for me is spending time on the floor you know of my lounge I had no choice but to but to slow down and what I feel I've done over the past year is begun to integrate the being and the doing. I, I didn't actually even understand when somebody introduced the idea of being to me when I did a two-year workshop on um, all sorts of philosophies. And I, I didn't understand what it meant. 
Uh, and that shows you how far I've come. I mean, I, it is a bit like being an addict. I mean, I do have to watch myself and keep myself in check. So that, that's been a massive shift for me. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you said when you were first introduced to the concept of being rather than doing, you couldn't comprehend it. It was like a foreign language. And I heard a teacher say once that the truth is best experienced with a physical feeling. So people can tell you things and you can read things, you know, infinitum. But actually, yeah. until you actually feel something in your body that is the truth, everything doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't drop in. And this caused this accident and the subsequent fall. Everything kind of dropped in for you. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Yes. And I love that, that you've even brought that up. And that's been something I've been thinking about lately because I, I've um, started learning something new. And, and I had learned it years ago and none of it resonated with me then. And now it resonates with me. And you can read the same book with a, with a distance in between and something's happened in between. And you interpret that book or that piece of writing or that lesson in a totally different way. And you have to be ready to hear something yes, and, and, and maybe you need to experience it in order to hear it. Uh, but uh, yes, I, I'm totally fascinated with that idea of somebody can tell you one thing and, and it just, you, you, you understand it logically, but you don't understand it in your body. It's, it's, it doesn't have the same effect at all. No, it has to be experienced somatically. It really does. Yes. So yes. amazing. Okay. So that's, that's your wisdom in terms of... I think, yes. I've got one more. I think one more that I just want to put in there in terms of my wisdom, which I think is useful if I could just uh, finish with that. Yeah, but it's, absolutely. It's about resolve. And, and, it, and it does take us back into the energy of doing, but I think that that's also important. And the resolve to, to not give up. And I think, I don't know. I'm not sure if this is a, is a quote, but it's... It's about the fact that you can discover some of life's real treasures if you keep your resolve and keep learning about your situation or the problem that you find yourself in until you until you move on to the next one. And I really like the word until. And I think lots of people don't even think about the word until. And I, I probably didn't until I read about it. But I really I really like using it in relation to this experience. And I think from the outset I made a decision to keep going and to keep pushing through because I didn't want to look back and think, you know, at age whatever, well, I'm not walking properly because because I never I never did everything that I should do in terms of my recovery. We've talked a lot about the emotional side, but, but there's also a big part to play in the physical side. And I... I had all these options open to me and and I and I did them all. I did them all. In fact, I remember someone saying to me, I think it was the physio or so the, the, the guy that I went back to actually to do the rehab and he said to me, You're actually uh, you're actually rehabbing as an athlete would in terms of the, the seriousness that you're approaching it. But I didn't want to look back and think I hadn't done everything to get my knee back hmm. to the place it was. And and I think without doing all those things, I wouldn't be where I am today, uh, which is just starting to to do some running. But I I, I kept up. I kept up with physio twice a week until I was in 
a position where my knee was so good I no longer needed it. I mean, I am still having a bit of physio now, but a couple of months ago it it, it went from twice a week to, you know, I, I cut it down. But I didn't stop that until I was in that position. So physio twice a week for for really a year, uh, and that, that does take up a long time. But I, I didn't want to stop until I'd got everything that I needed from it. No. And do you know what, Justine, I think kind of that attitude, which I have as well with a lot of things, you know, I'm a completer finisher. And I think yeah. that attitude of completing, finishing, keeping on, keeping on, uh, you know, you can call it whatever you want, devotion, dedication, commitment. I think all those are acts of when, when you're doing it for yourself, they're acts of self-love. Yes, they are actually. And, and also that comes back to what I was saying about earlier that some people, it just surprises me that some people say, Oh, I'm not going to, I won't do that till I've, till I've seen the doctor or, 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 well, I've not sorted that problem out because I'm waiting for an appointment. You can literally make an appointment. If you put your hand in your pocket and pay for it, you can literally deal with anything. You you know, it's about going out and finding the right people. It's about investing in yourself and you can call that absolutely self-love. Yeah. All that wisdom, um, Justine, just makes so many, so much sense and I'm I know there's going to be so many women that will be listening to what you've said and at some level be able to uh, really take some some wisdom from it um thank you for sharing your story today not at all it's a pleasure amazing talking to you before you go though (laughs) I want to ask you three quick questions I do this for every woman that appears on the podcast and just really to get to know you even better than we do already um so the first question is about books which book do you find yourself gifting the most well there's two actually one I've mentioned already which is the compound effect by Darren Hardy which is about how small uh, small actions executed consistently lead to huge and successful results I love that and then the second one is by a lady called Scylla Elworthy, and it's called Pioneering the Possible, uh, Awakened Leadership for a World that Works. I couldn't book that book down. And when I was reading it, it occupied oh, my every waking thought. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tragic book about uh, stories of human greed and dominance, but it's also a book of great hope, um, possibility and potential. It's, it's really about the leaders in all of us, you know, in terms of the world that we're currently creating. Um, If we can all turn back into ourselves and do some of the work that maybe we've talked about today, then maybe we'd find that we had a better place to live, a better Mm. world to live. I haven't heard of that one, so I'm going to look that up as soon as we finish chatting. Um, The second question is your most inspirational woman. Now, ideally, it's not going to be a relative, but it will be somebody in history, myth, legend or present day. Yes, uh, there's there's two. One is Scylla Elworthy, who wrote the book that I just mentioned. She's the founder of something called Peace Direct, which was formed in the 80s, but she's been three times... Nobel Peace Prize nominated and I've met her several times and she's just um, a lady that just exudes so many things I suppose she exudes peace but she she set up Peace Direct to develop effective dialogue between nuclear weapons policy makers and their critics Uh, and all of her life really is devoted to um, making peace in the world which sounds 
like a totally, well, a hugely difficult mission, but she totally believes it's possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other lady is not a relative, but she is the aunt of my partner, and uh, she was called Lorna Pridis. And she, she died four years ago at 94, but she was just inspirational to me. She's a woman that quietly went and did uh, incredible things in her life. She traveled uh, the world. So that part of it, you know, it inspires me because there's an adventure in me. So she went off traveling around the world on her own, which, you know, in the, I don't know when she went, 40s and 50s would have been pretty much unheard of. When the Vietnamese boat people uh, landed in Britain, she took some of them into her house. She set up a local theatre group, got all the children involved to teach them about confidence and all the profits she made would go to local causes. She was she would she didn't take herself too seriously. She would busk in the centre of Chichester. She would sing at the top of her voice, dressed as a bumblebee, uh, <laughs> to <laughs> to make. To, to make money for, for charity. And um, also I loved that she would go for a swim pretty much every day of the year. She lives right by the sea. And um, she just inspires me. And, yes, she, she was a wonderful woman. Well, and I love the fact that it's somebody... I know the rules are not to pick a relative, but obviously it's somebody that you know quite well. But I love the fact that it's a generation above ours because I think there's so much wisdom to be gleaned from women who are the next generation up. Yes, and I think uh, I think we have a lot lot of work to do, don't we, in Western in Western society with that, and we've we've lost that connection. But I think uh, you know this the work that you're doing with wise women touches on that is the wisdom from older women that's just not passed down or just not revered in the way that it might be in other traditions or it was previously done. So. Yes, thank you for bringing attention to that. Yeah, I think it really needs to be honoured. It really does. Okay, and the last question is about a song. What song for you, Justine? Um, I'm <laughs> giggling because I've got an inkling. I know what it is. Um, what song for you sums up your challenge of, you know, everything that happened to you with your skiing accident? Well, you know, there are some serious points to what we've talked about today. We've talked about trauma. We've talked about going inwards. We've talked about all these things. But what I wanted to do is make uh, some of these points accessible. They're not highbrow or they're things that I've experienced. And, and I think if we can retain a sense of humor throughout life, it is the best thing that we can ever do. And I think I've learned over the years to take myself less seriously and it's still a work in progress, but uh, humour is is everything, and it's what I aspire to do is to not take things too seriously. So my song is uh, is a good eight, I think eighties classic, which is "Get on Your Feet" by Gloria Estefan, and it it, it also gives a nod to my doing uh, way of living, which which. <laughs> Is from a line which is get on your feet, get up and make it happen. <laughs> yeah, get and, up and take some action as well, I think is another line in that. Exactly. So scared that life's going to pass you by. That That is me. And I like the fact that it's a fun song. It's not too serious. And, and I think I, I just wanted to finish on that. And also on a quote by Albert Einstein, which is there are only two ways to live your life. One is though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. And for me, if we can live our lives through 
through that quote, uh, I think we can we can not do too much wrong. Well, you certainly do, Justine, knowing you as I do. <laughs> Thank you so much for the chat. I can't wait to see you again. And I'm not actually sure if we're going to go kind of wild swimming, which I've always wanted to do with you. Yes. Or we're going to no, meditate. I've set up a, um, a small non-for-profit business called the Salzy Sea Bathing Society, which is in honour of Lorna Pridis, actually, one of the, the ladies that I I, um, I treasure. So perhaps you'd like to come along and have oh a nice swim in the nice cold uh, English channel. With I, me. Would, I would love to do that. That's what we'll do if you're in that doing state of mind. But if you're in that being state of mind, we'll just, do a, med- we'll just lie on the beach and do a meditation. That's right. We could do both, Joe. I'm not letting you get away with this one. <laughs> Thanks, Justine. Speak to you soon. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm Joe Wise, and you've been listening to Wise Women, the podcast. You can follow Wise Women on Instagram, Facebook, and the website www.wisewomen.org.uk. Remember, wise is spelt with a Y. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate and review this podcast. I look forward to you joining me next time for another Wise Women episode.